a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Great to see you again. Nice to see you. Uh, this episode will be dropping, I think, just before, just around Thanksgiving. And uh, it made me think about uh, the Thanksgiving traditions in my family. I have not only never cooked a turkey, but I realize I have never been asked to prepare any foods for the Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and I don't know what I did to deserve that. I'm willing to. I, w- I will help. I will chop things. Uh, I have a long history of mixing cocktails ever since I was a child for other people. Uh, what about you? Are, uh... Oh, I have, a, I have a traumatic horror story about oh, cooking I didn't for know. Thanksgiving. Yeah, so... I think I was in college and I was home for Thanksgiving. So my mom had ordered like a a pre-cooked turkey from a, you know, from a place that you Mm -hmm. do and you just needed to heat it. Sure. She said, Helen, you're in charge of heating the turkey. And I just very quickly read the instructions and it said... I saw 15 minutes and I was like, oh, so we have company coming over and 30 minutes before they arrive, I look at it again and it says 15 minutes per pound. Oh, no. And how many pounds do you think this thing was? I think it was a 12 pound turkey. Oh, that's a lot of minutes. (laughs) And I was like, no, that is way more than 15 minutes I needed. But I didn't read the rest of the instructions. I just read 15 minutes. So I ended up cutting up the turkey and microwaving it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yet you're allowed to make things for Thanksgiving. I still am not welcome. Yeah. All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? He is a two-time New York Times bestselling author and the host and executive producer of Animal Planet's long-running hit show, My Cat from Hell, the cat daddy himself. It's Jackson Galaxy. Hello, Jackson Galaxy. Hello, guys. How are you? Oh, so great. It's so wonderful to welcome you. I'm a big fan of your work. I also am a big fan of cats, so uh, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Wonderful. You actually now have been doing your famous consultations for people with their cats remotely. How does that go over Zoom? Do do cats respond to Zoom? No. No, they <laughs> it is, It's weird. I've never done remote consults before, mm-hmm. but people can like walk me around and say hello to the cats and yeah. do whatever take me under the bed, you know, whatever they have to do. Yeah, it's different, but you do what you got to do, you know? (laughs) Well, I know a lot of the work that you do involves creating the proper environment for a cat. So I imagine that's something that you can still consult people on while you're remote. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I have people draw out blueprints of the house as we walk around to like various windows or, you know, disaster areas or whatever. It is a little, I got to say, though, you know, you're going into someone's house and you're critiquing their decor. <laughs> yeah. So that's always got to be done gently. <laughs> have, have you seen anything without naming names? Have you seen anything that uh, really piqued oh, your interest? I've seen so many things. <laughs> <laughs> like what? The, the funniest one is, you know, there's a bit of a formula when it comes to how many litter boxes you should have in a house. So if you've got one cat, you should have two litter boxes, two cats, three litter boxes. Mm -hmm. And I love when people think that I'm going to be happy with them by saying like, oh, no, no, I've got four litter boxes. 
And then they take me into the garage where they're all sort of like Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this, this one big swimming pool of litter. And I have to tell them like, no, that doesn't actually count. You know, yeah. they're always trying to bend the rules, the cat yeah. rules. <laughs> well, speaking of cat rules, I think what's so interesting is how many times just the idea of playing with the cat can can be the, the key to unlocking the behavior issues. Why does play for a cat make so much of a difference? Well, because, you know, cats are still very much connected to their, you know, the, the, the cat I called the raw cat, the ancestor. They're very much connected. In fact, they don't really consider cats to be completely domesticated and you think that really every hair on their body every organ every sense is dedicated to one thing which is hunting mm. in order to keep them healthy we want to make sure that they're connected to that raw cat and since most of us now have our cats indoors and sharing our our apartments or our houses with us we want to keep that sense alive and we do that through interactive play mm. um and it 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 does pretty miraculous things. I mean, I don't care if it's a kitten or like a 14-year-old cat who just goes like this or whatever. It still <laughs> activates something in them. That's really cool. Uh, you've been very open about your history with addiction and how cats actually were helpful to your recovery. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about how, how that worked for you? I mean, I think a lot of people find the love and the affection that they have with cats very healing. How is that healing for you? You know, I, I think beyond just healing, I think that and this is the story of a lot of addicts and alcoholics I know, is that the animals in their lives, because the animal's love was unconditional and the dependence was absolute, mm. you have this moment for that, that what you wouldn't do for yourself, you would do for this other. I absolutely should have been dead in the mid-90s at some point. So I am thankful and I'm paying my karmic debt to whatever. <laughs> Is it possible to train a cat to knock a drink out of your hand? Because that might be I, I thought you were going to say, can you train a cat to drink? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, are you done with that? Yeah, right. <laughs> you can, I think it's really funny how like there's this notion that you can't train cats. Mm -hmm. Usually it's food motivation if you find that that thing that motivates them, then yeah. Well, last thing I want to ask you, we talked about addiction, we're talking about cats. How do you feel about cats' use of catnip? <laughs> Go with God. I mean, okay. I, 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 <laughs> knock yourself out, man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jackson, we're so happy that you joined us. Jackson Galaxy, everybody. Helen, against whom will Jackson be competing? She is a comedian who's been seen on Comedy Central and Two Dope Queens and who co-hosts the podcast The War Report. It's Shalewa Sharp. Hi, Shalewa Sharp. Hello. Oh, we're so happy that you joined us. Uh, speaking of cats, I've seen your Instagram feed, and I see a lovely tuxedo cat that is often posted there. Tell us about yeah, your cat. Yeah, that's Lucinda. She's, uh, she seems nice. She, she does seem nice. Yes. We've had her a uh, couple of years now, about two and a half years. It was initially a business transaction. What? <laughs> you were paid she, you were yeah. paid in cat yeah we hired her to take care of any vermin problems ah okay and then we in turn would take care of larger vermin like landlords <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's been great i think the mice around here all they have to do is just see that they're a cat carrier going to an apartment and they're like all right this <laughs> 
we've got to move on next house over or something. So it's been effective. Yeah. I can tell you from experience that dogs do not have that effect. (laughs) No, they do not. They absolutely don't. And so it's been great. But we have learned in our time with her that she is affectionate. Mm -hmm. And we weren't really counting on that. So my roommate and I are now building a relationship with this cat. And it's been uh, very interesting because we are both allergic. What? To cats. Ah, I was wondering what? what the catch was because you kept saying You're... these things about these wonderful things about the cat yeah. and yet not feeling enthusiastic about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do love the cat, but okay. it is like a, <laughs> can you believe this? Both of us are kind of looking at each other like we, we, we were out on the street once and look at us now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, she's all right. You, of course, are a performing comedian all over town uh, in the New York area, especially. And mm-hmm. you actually had one of my favorite lines that I've seen about pandemic life. If I can quote you to yourself, uh, you mm-hmm. said vision boards took a hit this year. <laughs> I just think it's so brilliant. I was curious if that's been something from your personal experience. Is that uh... I grew up in a in a household where we did things like vision boards and mm-hmm. we were visualizing and we had a poster board with pictures of things that we were working towards. I don't necessarily do that now, but Mm -hmm. I still have it in the back of my head. And I was just in one of the days, one of the many days when I was just sitting in my apartment, (laughs) I was just like, what are we shooting for now? <laughs> yeah, like who, was, who? who was the guy who had the vision board of people wearing masks and not going yeah, out? Yeah, who was that guy? Let's find him. Yes. I got a word for him. He just printed a picture of the virus with a red X through it, and that was just everybody's vision board. Yes. I do post-its on a bulletin board, mm-hmm. and I was just looking at the post-its on my bulletin board. And I was like, well, I got to change all of this. Like, this is, we got to start all over. That's right. Who who knew your vision for next year might be leaving the house? Could happen. Let's see. Let's put it out there. We need to simplify, (laughs) for sure. Your podcast is called The War Report. Uh, What war are you reporting on exactly? Because it seems to me a news and current events show. It's news and current events. But the thing is, my co-host, Gastor, Mm -hmm. who's another fantastic comedian based out of Brooklyn, out of of East New York, he will tell you that every chance he gets. <laughs> His view on the world is very, <laughs> I don't want to say antagonistic, but he's a lot of what he says includes hand claps, just a lot of like, <laughs> hey, we trying to be out here and do all these. And I'm like, I don't what that's aggressive. <laughs> that's <laughs> very aggressive. But he came up with the idea for the podcast, and it's based on a very influential rap album from the 90s called The War Report. Ah, He was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do a picture and it's going to be influenced by the cover of this album. And I had to go out and get fatigues and (laughs) (laughs) we took these pictures and he got a graphic designer and he made it look just like the album cover. So much like the album cover that on our first day, it got pulled (gasps) because someone thought it was the album cover and it was like a copyright thing. And I was like, it was too much of an influence. Well, at least they're paying attention. That's a that's a good sign. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) That is true. You had an appearance on The Tonight Show that went viral, but uh, you were not booked on the show as a comedian. Tell us uh, what you ended up doing on that show. Nope. I went on official uh, office manager business because uh, that is my day job. I'm an office manager. And I got asked, would you like to give a review of the Black Panther movie? And we had to give our review to a poster of Chadwick Boseman. So I gave my review and I talked about why I thought the 
movie was important. And then Chadwick Boseman came out and surprised <gasps> everyone. What? And so I had no idea that he would be there. I really had no clue. Did you freak um, out? No. <laughs> That's what's so fascinating about the clip, because they showed other people, you know, completely melting down. You looked as cool as a cucumber. Why is that? Well, part of it was because I saw the movie and liked the movie enough that I went back to YouTube and I watched all the press junkets. Mm -hmm. So I was coming off of a week of watching nonstop interviews with the cast of Black Panther. So when he walked out to me, it was a YouTube video. And I was like, yeah, of course he's here. I press play on this video. And then he said my full government name. And I thought, oh, wait, this is a different video. I haven't seen this one. The government name makes it official. You're like, wait a minute. YouTube doesn't know my name. Yeah, it's a great clip. I, I recommend people looking it up. And my favorite part of it is then, of course, Jimmy Fallon comes out and you're like, oh, hey, Jimmy. And then you go back to Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> I mean, it was his show. Of course, yeah. he was going to be there. <laughs> well, I'd be surprised by that. That's not the shocking part. <laughs> well, we're so happy that you joined us tonight and are uh, looking forward to uh, surprising you again. We'll see if we can tell if you're surprised. Shalewa yeah. Sharp. <laughs> All right, Jackson and Shalewa, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Jackson, you said you know a lot about rock and roll music between 1974 and 1977, the TV show Outlander, and the Upper West Side of New York City. Whereas <laughs> Shalewa, you said you know about the rock band The Breeders, the TV show Sesame Street, and shopping for plus-size clothing online. A lot of crossover in these uh, two people's topics. Uh, later on, we're going to ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, must I? First up is Jackson. Jackson, in the topic of must I, they both might make you feel like you must hold your nose, but what's the difference between odors that are musty and musky? Musty with a T toward the end and musky with a K toward the end. Musty is like old closed in kind of old closet mothball-y smell. Musky mm -hmm. is secreted by a being it's it's a pheromone musk is a pheromone so it's actually they're the opposite right one is repellent one mm -hmm. should be attractive is my guess yes and that always is my motto one should be attractive all right we've got jackson's answer we don't know yet if he's entirely correct shalaya well, what do you think i'm gonna say one is a purse and one is a candle a purse and a candle all right and yes. uh, which which one is which I think the must with a T is uh -huh. the purse uh -huh. and the musk is a candle. All right. Well, this segment must come to an end. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. A musty odor with a T is the smell of mildew or mold. It can also refer to something that just smells stale, old or damp. A musky with a K odor specifically describes the substance produced by the musk gland of the musk deer, which has been used for centuries in perfume making. It's the less sweet and more sweaty scent that some perfumes have. Musky is also used to describe similar smells emitted from humans or other animals. That's right. In addition to the musk deer, there are other similar smelling animals like the musk shrew, musk beetle, and musk turtle, along with the better known musk ox and musk rat. Helen, how did our guest do? 
I think Jackson Galaxy got both of those correct. I think so as well. Two points for Jackson. Very good, sir. All right. Up next in Must I is Shalewa. Shalewa, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hit it. Hello, this is Tom Scott from San Francisco. My question for What's the Difference is, while both might make you feel like you must do something, What's the difference between obligated and obliged? Thanks. All right. Thank you, Tom. Shalewa, you heard the question. What is the difference between obligated and obliged? Obligated, you don't want to, but you have to. Mm -hmm. Obliged, you are willing and, uh, well, let's see, obliged to do it. Yeah, you're willing to do it. Okay. And, yeah, obligation, you have to do it. You have to do it, whether you're willing or not. Uh, All right, right. we've got Shalewa's answer. Jackson, you can seal if you think she's got it wrong. What do you think? Obligated means, like, you know, I'm obligated to pay you the 20 bucks that you lent me mm-hmm. or else you will be obliged to break my kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me not to borrow money from Jackson Galaxy. Jeez. You went full mafia on that one, Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, that was a mafia that uh, does loans in the amount of $20. So uh, <laughs> that, that would be an Upper West Side mafia, maybe. All right. Well, it is my moral obligation to end this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. Obligated means to feel a legal or moral necessity for you to do something. Like you are legally obligated to pay your taxes or you feel morally obligated to help hungry children. Obliged means to feel a debt of gratitude. Like you might feel obliged to your neighbor when she shovels the snow in your driveway in the winter. And that grateful feeling might lead you to feel obligated to mow her lawn in the summer. Oh, how nice and neighborly. That's right. I feel much obliged to our guests for playing our game. But now Helen is obligated to tell you how you did. Helen, how did they do? Shalewa, you definitely got obligated correct. Obliged, you were sort of in the ballpark. You know what? I'll give you two points. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Two points for Shalewa. What is our score at the end of that round, Helen? It is a tie so far, Jay Keith. Jackson Galaxy and Shalewa Sharp both have two points. All right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, Thanksgiving is upon us. Do you know what I am very thankful for? Let me take a stab at it. Okay. Does it involve a cereal? It does. (laughs) Might that cereal be Magic Spoon? Yes, it might be. Wow, very nice uh, deduction on your part. That's right, of course. I am very grateful for Magic Spoon. Why? Because it's so delicious and it has all those amazing flavors that we love, but without all the carbs and sugar. It's so good as a cereal, but also as a topping on yogurt or even just a handful with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. I really, truly like it. And Helen, tell them why I like it, not just because of the taste. Because Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. 
And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. I literally am having my mouth water as you read those. I can only imagine what our listeners are doing as well. Oh, Helen, it's so delicious. And we've got a special offer just for our listeners. What is it? Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash GOFACT and use the code GOFACT to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon. You're in the theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she stand up to her? Oh, good God. Do I need to stand up to my own mother? We never know when we'll see ourselves in a movie, but that search for recognition is exactly what we're going to talk about on the podcast, Feeling Seen, with me, Jordan Cruciola. Each episode, we'll bring in a guest to talk about the films that they see themselves in and also the ways that movies have fallen short. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Seen podcast here on Maximum Fun or wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Jackson Galaxy and Shalewa Sharp. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Jackson, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about rock and roll music from 1974 to 1977, the TV show Outlander, and the Upper West Side of New York City. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. Tell us what rock and roll music from 1974 to 1977 means to you. I just, I was an incredible, immersed little geek about music back then you sort of grow up as i did you know you have like in new york you had like wabc was the am radio and you just listen to that all the time and you're listening to like captain Tennille and temptations and whatever <laughs> and then suddenly you go to fm yeah. you know and that's sort of like your musical bar mitzvah you become a man and all of a sudden <laughs> when the shift happened i suddenly was like yeah he he yeah. really he really kind of took it for me All right, Jackson, you also said you know a lot about the TV show Outlander. Well, I just finished watching Mm -hmm. all five seasons obsessively, though I figure it's fresh. It's an amazing show. The acting is stellar, man. Usually not into sort of the sci-fi meets Harlequin vibe, (laughs) but it happened. And then finally, you said you know a lot about the Upper West Side of New York City. You know, I got to say, I I mean, look, I'll always be a New Yorker. I mean, I live in L.A. right now, but I identify as a New Yorker. I always will to the day I die. My whole family was based on the Upper West Side. My mom was like born on 76th Street, died on 82nd. Never. Mm. Wow. When Marvelous Miss Maisel came on. All of a sudden, there was this. Wait, wait! I do know something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just there was just something about that whole experience that was my family, you know. All right. Well, to summarize, Jackson, you said you know a lot about rock and roll music from 1974 to 1977, the TV show Outlander, and the Upper West Side of New York City. Today, we're going to quiz you about. 
the TV show Outlander. <laughs> you did you did watch all five seasons recently. Let's talk about what you love so much about it. There were, it is known for having, let us say, very sensual scenes, very explicit scenes, as well as very brutal scenes. Were there ones that you liked more than another, or did those appeal to you? Well, I mean, and without spoiling for people who haven't watched it, you really owe it to yourself. Like I said, it's, it's an amazing story, and... Um, well written, well shot, and well acted, and I, you know, so I don't want to give too much away. The author did not hold back, man. But you know, hey, the sex is good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so even though you had some resistance, you were grateful to have have uh, continued to watching watching it all. Right, there's always a palate cleanser nearby. Yeah. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, <laughs> don't hide. Uh, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want to, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Shalewa, do listen closely because if Jackson answers incorrectly, you can steal. Shalewa, by the way, how much do you know about the TV show Outlander? I know nothing about the TV show Outlander, so all right. this is all you, Jackson. All right. This will be very interesting uh, to see what happens. Here we go with question number one. Jackson, Outlander is the story of a World War II-era nurse named Claire who is whisked back in time while visiting the Highlands. The Highlands of what land of whiskey and tartans? Scotland. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very nice. Fun fact, the show was actually shot on location in Scotland, even some of the scenes that take place in America. Here is question number two. Back in modern times, Claire enrolls in medical school at what Ivy League university? Harvard. Helen? That is correct. That is also correct for the point. Helen, you did not get a chance to give this clue. I know you were eager to. What would that hint have been? You might want to park your car in its yard. Thank you. Helen Hong. Thank you. Indeed. (laughs) Here is question number three, Jackson. You're doing quite well. Claire, of course, finds love in Scotland, hot, steamy love, with a man named Jamie. On their wedding night, Claire is shocked that Jamie is such a good kisser. When she asked where he learned how to kiss like that, Jamie replied with a famous line from the show, I said I was a virgin, not what? A monk? Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Jackson raising his arms in celebration, taking a victory lap around his room. Fun fact, the line after that, Jamie says, if I need guidance, I'll ask. And again, I need, and by the way, I don't know why my Scottish accent sounds very similar to Helen's Boston one. Uh, <laughs> or it kind of sounded like a Lucky Charms commercial, right? Yeah. If I need, if I need guidance, I'll get blue diamonds and take away in a boat. Uh, my, my apologies to all of the Scottish I may have offended. All right, Jackson, you're three for three. Here's question number four. You do still have your two hints available. The TV series has some very provocative episodes and also some provocative episode titles. But which of the following is not the title of an Outlander episode? Is it An Echo in the Bone, Blood of My Blood, The Fiery Cross, Freedom in Whiskey, or Journey Cake? Uh, I think I will take the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? The episode title includes the name of a smart speaker from Amazon that features Alexa, 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 Alexa. What kind of effect was Helen doing toward the end there? Alexa, Alexa, Alexa. Oh, really? Oh, so it's Echo in the Bone, huh? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Echo in the Bone is not an episode title. Fun fact, an Echo in the Bone is one of the novels that the Outlander series is based on, but not an episode title. The Fiery Cross is also the title of a novel in the series and is the title of an episode. All right, Jackson, you are 444. Have a chance to go five for five if you can get this question correct. 
Outlander has a very romantic opening theme song, which is adapted from a traditional Scottish song and a poem by a famous Scottish writer. Who wrote that poem, and what is the one word in the first line that is different in Outlander's theme adaptation? Good God, I definitely need a hint on that one. Helen, how about that second hint? The poet's name rhymes with Blobbert Bluis Bliebenson. <laughs> <laughs> and the word rhymes with blast. So that would be Robert Louis Stevenson, and the word is lass. Helen? That is correct. Jackson Galaxy is five for five. Don't know how I did that. <laughs> the recency effect. You crushed uh, no, you, it. You crushed fun it. Fun fact, the song is called The Skyboat Song, S-K-Y-E, <laughs> and was adapted by Bear McCreary and sung by Rhea Yarbrough, who are husband and wife. All right, Jackson, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Jackson, as we mentioned, the Outlander TV show is, of course, based on the Outlander book series. For up to three points, what is the first published book in the series called? What role did the book's author play on the TV show in a brief cameo appearance in season one? And who is the author of the Outlander novel series who also serves as a consultant on the TV show and wrote two of the episodes? I can tell you the name of the author, okay. um, although I'm sure I'm going to mangle her last name. Mm -hmm. um, it's Diana Gabaldon. Okay. In terms of the other two elements of that question, I would say it's not Dragonfly and Amber. That's my guess. That's your guess, even though you don't think it's right. Right. Okay. And then uh, we're looking for the character that was played by the author in a cameo. Perhaps just your favorite Scottish name. <laughs> oh, I was thinking it was it was the mother of one of the, the girls back in, in the castle. But I'm just going to go with the oh-so-not-Scottish-name Caitlin. Caitlin. All right. So to summarize, uh, let's get your answers all together. You said the book is named... Dragonfly in Amber. And the character name is? Caitlin. And the author? Diana Gabaldon. All right, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is the author of the award-winning, number one New York Times best-selling Outlander novels and consultant on the TV series, it's Diana Gabaldon. Hello, Diana. Hi there. <laughs> Hello, Diana. Hi, Jackson. Oh, yeah. God. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And you actually have something in common with Jackson besides both being best-selling authors. You spent a lot of time studying animal behavior. Tell us about that. That's right. Oddly enough, I have three degrees in the biological sciences. Wow. And my PhD dissertation was entitled Nest Site Selection in the Pinion Jay, Gymnorhinus cyanocephalus. So <laughs> I know a lot about birds. You know, cats, not so much, but birds, yes. <laughs> You worked in science for a long time and didn't really start writing until later in life. Uh, why did you finally decide to write once you had already uh, had your other career going? Well, I had always wanted to be a writer from the age of eight or so. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. But I came from a very conservative family background. And my dad would say to me, you're such a poor judge of character. You're bound to marry some bum, he said. So be sure you get a good education so you can support your children. 
And so I went into science. I liked science. I was good at it, but I knew I was supposed to be a novelist. And mm. when I turned 35, I said, well, you know, Mozart was dead at 36. Maybe you better start. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. It's such an inspirational story for, for people who have this dream of doing something and haven't quite done it yet. And I think also what's so inspirational is you actually wrote this book for practice, you said. I did. <laughs> uh, so you, you didn't really have the stakes. Uh, you had this freedom, I imagine, thinking that exactly. no one would ever see that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how do you keep that going when you're up to your, your ninth book in the series coming? out knowing that people are going to devour every word (laughs) devour it and spit a few back no doubt but from the beginning i said i'm not going to tell anyone what i'm doing because i don't want anyone telling me i'm doing it wrong so i want to have complete freedom to do whatever i think i need to do and you know that was wonderful and i said Mm -hmm. well i want to keep that sense of freedom so i made up my mind i said speaking logically if you have more than two readers you're not going to be able to please everyone (laughs) (laughs) I said that being so it is immaterial how many readers you have don't worry about pleasing any of them well you please a lot of readers Uh, you've got a new book that's coming out just a few days after this episode drops what can you tell us about the new book well the new one is the ninth in the series it's called go tell the bees that I am gone and people are all going, oh, my God, that's so sinister, you know, who's dying? <laughs> Saying yeah. not necessarily anybody. <laughs> the title comes from uh, European beekeeping practices. A beekeeper realizes that the bees are very social insects. You tend your bees every day and, you know, they like to see you and vice versa. They are interested in gossip because they are social insects. What? They want to know what's going on. Yeah. 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 And so when you go down to your bees, you tell them all the news of the community you live in. What? And so you say, uh, you know, so-and-so has had a new baby and old Mr. (laughs) So-and-so over there is very sick. We don't think he's going to make it. He's all right so far. And things like that. And the idea is that if you do not tell the bees about something Mm -hmm. important that's happened and they find out, they'll be angry and swarm and fly away. You won't have any more. (laughs) I am so... I am mind blown about everything you just said about bees. <laughs> that quantitative behavioral ecology degree really comes in handy in ways you never would expect, I imagine. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your fans, I think, to put it politely, are very uh, enthusiastic about your work and are always eager for the next book to come out. How long did this one take for you to uh, to write and to get published? Um, it took me about seven years, which is longer than usual. But mm-hmm. in my own defense, I should point out that I wrote four other books during that seven years. Wow. So it not that long. The time spent for one of these books mm-hmm. is three to four years just right. if I were just writing that book. And this is because they're very long, they're very big books. Yes. I don't blame you if you're not reading them. But uh, you know, if you do want to read one, they're worth the money. <laughs> <laughs> that is the Diana Gabaldon guarantee. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I used to do that to people because they would come and pick up the book and say, well, what kind of book is this? It's so thick. You know, I'm not sure I can read that. I said, if you got 90 seconds, I'll sell it to you. And then I do. But then I say, look, you know, pick it up and if and open it, read three pages anywhere. If you can put it down again, I'll pay you a dollar. I've never lost any money on that. No. Oh, I love that confidence. That's so great and very well earned. Uh, let's talk about the TV show. Fans, of course, are eager for the next season of the show. But I understand that another episode that you wrote is going to be in the upcoming season. Well, um, I did write an episode for this upcoming season, but the season turned out to, uh, we needed to truncate it because of COVID and uh, also the fact that our leading lady was pregnant and getting more so by the moment. So instead of being the 12 episodes that we had planned, it was shrunk back to six while we could still get all of Katrina in shot. (laughs) Very cool. Well, let's talk about your uh, cameo appearance on the show. Had you planned on being on the show when uh, the show first got made? Um, I had not, but, you know, they suggested it to me. I said, we would really like to have you do a cameo. I said, I've never done that. Sure, why not? 
So I did. And, uh, you know, they sent me the sort of forms that you fill out with your measurements. I had to go down to the local drama department at the university to have them measure me because film costumes are very exacting. They need to be measured to the inch. But they made this beautiful costume. And I was, in fact, an old rival in love to Mrs. Uh, the Chatelaine of the, uh, of the castle. You were very close on that. And my scene is with her yeah, in the gallery. She passes me and I pass her and we exchange insulting remarks. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I should say your Scottish accent in those couple lines are much better than, than mine. Was that something you had to work toward to get authentic? Well, I had a half an hour with the dialect coach ah, who taught me. Yes, and I only I had 30 thinking, seconds before we started recording. Yeah, you yeah. did well. No, my son-in-law is Scottish and uh, I was in, in Scotland for this. And so my daughter was talking about this and she said, say you're lying for Ian. And so I did. <laughs> I mean, he said, that's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about is uh, obviously the show films in Scotland. You spend a lot of time in Scotland. It's really cool how you've kind of become an ambassador for Scotland. I see you show up in, in their promotional videos and you obviously have a great deal of enthusiasm about the country. Well, I do. Uh, yeah. Being a writer these days, you hear a lot about cultural appropriation. Sure. People occasionally will say, the Scottish people mind. I say, no, I think they've culturally appropriated me. <laughs> <laughs> they've welcomed you into their culture. Yes, they certainly do. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jackson. First, we wanted to know what was the first published book in the Outlander series called? Helen, what did Jackson say? Jackson said, Dragonfly in Amber. And Diana? Uh, no, it was, in fact, not unreasonably called Outlander. <laughs> Outlander, yes. But but the, the title that Jackson mentioned is a, another book in the series later on. Yes, Dragonfly and Amber is the second book in the series. Oh, very close. Very reasonable guess, but no point there. I'm sorry. Next, we want to know what role did the book's author play on the TV show in a brief cameo appearance in season one? Helen, what did Jackson say? Jackson said Caitlin. And Diana? The name of my character was Iona McTavish. Ah, oh, Iona McTavish, so the merchant's close, wife. So yes. close to Caitlin. Very, very, very close. I'm sorry. I don't believe Diana was going to give you the I point won't. on that one, though. No, no. She shakes her head vigorously. No. <laughs> and finally, you wanted to know who is the author of the Outlander novel series, who also serves as a consultant on the TV show and wrote two of the episodes. Helen, what did Jackson say? Jackson said Diana Gabaldon. And Diana? Uh, yes, that is correct. And thanks very much for noticing. Oh, how lovely. Uh, before we let you go, uh, Jackson, is there anything you'd like to ask of our expert, Diana, while we have her here? Well, I, yeah, it's <laughs> funny. The first thing I wanted to ask you was you wrote the end of the first season, right? Or you had a, a more of an involvement in that two part end of season one, right? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, no, I didn't write either of those. Those were done by, you know, very, very skilled screenwriters, which we needed. And, uh, you know, the acting in that was just absolutely beyond anything I've seen. It was fabulous. But yes, I was involved in it in that I kept pushing them not to cut things out and not to soften it. And I said, no, this is what happened. You know, you got to put it in because it forms so much of what happens in later episodes of the story in the books particularly, but also in the show. I got to say, that's why I think, you know, men and women are both attracted to this thing. It really hits those sweet spots right between the sexes. I know that all sounded really salacious, but, but, I, but you know what I'm trying <laughs> uh, But I, I really have to give props for that. I thought it was just so courageous. Yeah, well, let awesome. me leave yeah. you with one final thought. Please. There is a group of fans in Scottsdale who uh, used to take me out to tea every spring to pick my brains about what I was doing. On one of these occasions, they got started on the character of Black Jack Randall. They were saying, oh, he's so loathsome. He just makes my skin crawl. He's so disgusting. And I'm sitting there sipping my Earl Grey and thinking, you have no idea you're talking to Black Jack Randall, do you? 
<laughs> Nobody ever does. <laughs> Diana, it's been so wonderful to talk with you, and thank you so much for telling us so much more about uh, about the show and the book. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? I have a website, www.dianagabaldone.com, and I have a Facebook page, which is author Diana Gabaldone. Um, let's see, at Twitter, it's writer underscore DG, but you know, you could find me if you searched it. And of course, check out the new book, which is available in bookstores coming up uh, very soon. We thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Diana Gaveldone. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Jackson. You did a great job. Thank you, Diana. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Jackson Galaxy has eight points and Shalewa Sharp has two points with a round of questions for Shalewa coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Shaleo about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Jackson and Shaleo will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You know, we get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups and go to the gym to maintain physical wellness and prevent injury and disease. Well, going to therapy is just like all of that. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. I've been doing therapy for years and I recommend it for everyone. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It can be more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not in your mind? Get help. Get BetterHelp. We are so glad this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you'll be glad that Go Fact Yourself listeners get 10% off of their first month at BetterHelp. BetterHelp.com slash GoFact. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash GoFact. Thank you, BetterHelp. Look, it's a rough world out there, especially lately. I get it. So let's take care of our minds as best we can. I'm John Moe, host of Depression Mode with John Moe. Every week, I talk with comedians, actors, writers, musicians, doctors, therapists, and everyday folks about the obstacles that our world and our brains throw in front of us. Depression, anxiety, traumatic stress, all those mental health challenges that are way more common and more treatable than you might think. The first time I went to therapy, I was so ashamed, and I was like, can't believe I got to go into therapy. Like, I thought I could be a man, and Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. Give your mind a break, give yourself a break, and join me for Depression Mode with John Moe. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Jackson Galaxy and Shalewa Sharp. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thanks so much, Helen. All right, Shalewa, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the rock band The Breeders, the TV show Sesame Street, and shopping for plus-size clothing online. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. Tell us what the rock band The Breeders means to you. They hit me at a time where my brain was open to all kinds of sounds, Mm -hmm. but I also was trying to decide what type of 20-year-old I wanted to be. Hmm. I will still talk about them. And my sister goes, wow, you still really like them, huh? And Yes, I I do. You're in for the long haul. That's terrific. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next, you said you know a lot about the TV show Sesame Street. And I grew up with it. It taught me how to read and I tattooed it on my body. Oh, now I didn't know that last part. 
I have a Sesame Street tattoo on my right arm. It's the uh, Sesame Street street sign. And it was my first tattoo. I watched it a long time, very long when you consider I have no children. (laughs) So I really had no reason to watch. You were very loyal to your two topics so far. You're in, again, for the long haul. All right. Yeah. Well, finally, Shalewa, you said you know a lot about shopping for plus-size clothing online. Well, that is just more of a necessity. <laughs> I mean, I, I got to get dressed. Mm-hmm. I know what I'd like to wear, mm-hmm. and I know what it appears that the plus-size industry would like me to wear, mm. and sometimes we don't see eye to eye. <laughs> and so I sometimes have to go elsewhere, and I have to eyeball things and do the special math that's necessary because there's so many different sizing situations. And then my checkbook is like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> Again, very loyal and very in it for the long haul. All right. That's one way to look at <laughs> it. it. All right. So to summarize, Shalewa, well, you said you know a lot about the rock band, The Breeders, the TV show Sesame Street, and shopping for plus-size clothing online. Today, we're going to quiz you about Sesame Street. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have any favorite segments or characters from all of your Sesame Street watching? There is one character that I was partial to who is no longer on the show. Mm. I believe his name was Don Music. And Don Music would write songs and he never liked what he was writing. Oh, and so this. as he was writing, he'd try to finish a rhyme yeah. and it wouldn't work. And then he'd get mad and slam his head into the piano right. keyboard over and over. That's my dude. That's I dude. get it. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic of Sesame Street with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic. If you want it, you'll add a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Jackson, do listen closely because you can steal if Shalewa gets any of them wrong. Jackson, by the way, how much do you know about Sesame Street? I know so much about Sesame Street. Well, at least the beginnings of it. As my <laughs> mother was always fond of telling me, she plopped me down in front of the TV for the very first episode. And they filmed it like a block and a half from my house. Oh, wow. Yeah, my parents watched it for two years before they had me. So <laughs> we know where we're at now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we'll see if Shalewa gives you a chance to come in. Uh, you did not give Shalewa that same courtesy, but let's see what happens with this quiz. All right, Shalewa, here's question number one. Sesame Street wouldn't exist without the vision of the man who created the Muppets and on Sesame Street gave voice to Kermit the Frog, Ernie, and Guy Smiley. Who was this Emmy, Grammy, and Peabody winning visionary? That was Jim Henson. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, Jim Henson's three competitive Emmy wins were for other projects, but Sesame Street, the show, has won 209 Emmy Awards. Whoa. Yes. Oh, is that all? Yeah. (laughs) That's a big number to count up to for kids. All right. Here's question number two. Shalewa, on November 18, 1985, almost exactly 14 years after first appearing on the show, what shocking moment featuring Snuffleupagus occurred on Sesame Street? Oh, I'm guessing that's when people could finally see him. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, after that big reveal, the adults stood silently, mouths agape for over 45 seconds before one of them spoke. Uh, and I think, Is that true? They it, just sat there silently for 45 seconds? I watched the clip the other day. Uh, big Bird does a little bit of talking and explaining, but the, but the, uh, the adult humans are just standing there completely with their mouths wide open. Whoa. Yeah, it was, it was a very shocking and important moment. All right, here's question <laughs> number three. In addition to the Muppet characters, Sesame Street also featured animated segments, some recurring, some with music, and one in particular with a very catchy song that I still sing to this day. Listen to this clip, and then I'll ask you a question about it. Hit it. One, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
Very enjoyable to see Shalewa dancing uh, during that clip. Shalewa, what game was seen on screen while this music played? That was a pinball machine. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It was pinball as the pinball machine counted up to 12. Fun fact, the vocals on that track were sung by the Pointer Sisters, who also performed some other songs on the show. Uh, Shalewa nodding along, knowing that uh, fun fact. That's what I thought the question was going to be. Who sang oh, it? Oh, well, you would have been ready either way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. Here's question number four. You do still have your two hints available. Sesame Street regularly had celebrity guest stars, and some of them, in retrospect, made for... Interesting choices for a children's show. Which one of the following people did not appear as themselves on Sesame Street? Was it Matt Lauer, Bill Cosby, Mel Gibson, Chris Brown, or O.J. Simpson? Did not appear as themselves? Correct. Every other one of those people did appear as themselves on Sesame Street. One of them did not. I feel like it would be Cosby, but I, I would like the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? Bill Cosby did appear on Sesame Street. Ah, perhaps a very helpful hint. It is not Bill Cosby. Okay. <laughs> and again, the remaining people would be Matt Lauer, Mel Gibson, Chris Brown, or O.J. Simpson. Who did not appear as themselves. Correct. Okay, I'm going to say <laughs> O.J. Simpson. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Fun fact, other less controversial but still interesting guest stars included Katy mm -hmm. Perry, Macklemore, James Gandolfini, and Richard Pryor. All right, Shalewa, you also have a chance to go five for five. You can get this question correct. You do still have your hint available. In July of this year, 2021, Sesame Workshop introduced the newest member of the Sesame Street family, an adopted puppy. What is the puppy's name and whose puppy is it? Ooh, I know whose puppy it is, but I can't remember the name. I need a hint. Helen, how about that second hint? The puppy's name is a type of fiery dance from Argentina and Uruguay, and he was adopted by someone red who likes to be tickled. All right. That is Elmo's puppy, and the puppy's name is Tango. Helen? That is correct. Shalewa Sharp oh. is five for five. <laughs> What a game we have. Congratulations, Salewa. Uh, Thank you. Very well done. Fun fact, Tango will join Sesame Street's 52nd season, which starts this fall on HBO Max. All right, Salewa, you obviously did very well in your topic as well, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple mm -hmm. answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <laughs> we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Shalewa, Sesame Street had its lovable Muppet characters and its celebrity guest stars, but there were also the beloved human characters, and some of them were there for a very long time. One of them was Luis, who for 44 years operated a repair shop, a shop he eventually co-owned with another longtime human character whom he married and had a daughter with. So, for up to three points, what was the name of the repair shop, who did Luis marry, and what was the name of their daughter? Mm, mm, mm. In Lord. Okay. All right. All right. So Luis married Maria. Okay. What was the name of their shop? I know they couldn't have, they couldn't have put it in Hooper's store. Hooper's store is still doing brisk business. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yes. I, I know, I know uh, economics classes often study the brisk business of Hooper's store. So uh, I mean, that's just you know, canon. So I'm going to say that Luis's store was literally just called Luis's, right? Lu they like using the people's names. Okay. And um, <laughs> I'm going to say their daughter's name 
Oh, this is so bad because I'm so terrible with the next generation. <laughs> what's, what's Sesame Street, the next generation? Yes. Um, TNG, as the fans call it. Yes, yes TNG. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i going to say that her name was, mm, <laughs> I'm going to say Marisol. I know Marisol. that's not right. I thought you were going to go with but Caitlin, I, but maybe that was just Jackson. No, no, no. Okay. We know she's not Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an actor, voice artist, and singer whose many credits include playing Luis on Sesame Street for 44 years. It's Emilio Delgado. <laughs> Emilio Delgado. Hey, hello. Hello. Hola, everyone. Hello. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm freaking out. It's really you, and you look exactly the same. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, behind you, for our listeners who uh, can't see, Emilio has some memorabilia. Looks like a sign and a poster from uh, Sesame Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one there is a... Uh, Hirschfeld, it looks like. Hirschfeld, yeah, from yeah. Uh, that he drew way back in, I think, in the early 80s, maybe. Wow, uh, what an honor. This one on this side over here is mm. a, a play that I finished recently that was very successful uh, that I starred in. It was very good. And that's called uh, Quixote Nuevo. Quixote Nuevo. If you see it playing anywhere, go see it. It's a great show. Well, uh, of course, in addition to Sesame Street, which we'll talk about in a little while, you've done lots of work in theater, including that play that you just mentioned. You've also been on Broadway. You've been on TV in shows from Quincy, Hawaii Five-O, three different Law & Order shows. Uh, and you also had a recurring role on Lou Grant. Um, I actually want to start asking you about that. Uh, we recently lost uh, Ed Asner. Yeah. And I was curious uh, what memories you have of working with Ed Asner, what he was like. Nothing artificial about him. He was like such a great actor. His personality was just so inviting with everyone. You know, he treated everyone beautifully but the person that i really wanted to thank uh, may he rest in peace he just died last year was gene reynolds gene reynolds was of course the the producer on mash and then he went over to lou grant and it was because of him that i got on the show i mean i I didn't even audition for it when one day i was in la uh, my agent called and said they want you on uh you know uh, lou grant and i said okay so I was on the show for you know, that's like what three, you say when they say years. you want to be on this popular Emmy winning thank show. Thank you very much, <laughs> yeah. Gene Reynolds. Thank you. <laughs> Something people might not know about you is that in addition to your work in uh, TV and theater and film, is that you performed on stage with Pink Martini. Oh yeah, that band. Tell, tell us about what you did with them and, and some of the incredible venues uh, you got to play. I love Pink Martini. They are so fantastic. You know it, it, the way it happened, the way I met them. My agent from New York called and said, you have an audition for In the Heights, so you got to prepare something. And so I was out in Portland, and I thought to myself, who am I going to get here? And I called a friend in New York who was used to be my accompanist when I did live shows. And he said, oh, oh you got to call uh, Thomas Lauderdale. Of course, the, the, the leader of the band, Thomas Lauderdale. <laughs> and somebody gave me his number, and I called him. And, uh, and I said, uh, Thomas, you know me, but I need to prepare a song for an audition in New York. Uh, maybe you could help me. And I, my name's Emilio Delgado. And he says, Emilio Delgado, Luis from Sesame Street. <laughs> Not long after that, he called me up and he said, you want to sing with us? And I said, yeah, of course. And so uh, we, we did Carnegie Hall. We did the, the Hollywood Bowl a couple of times and everything. It was a marvelous experience, you know? I love Pink Martini. Oh, they are. I, They're fantastic. Yeah. I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl, not when you performed, unfortunately. Yeah. But you know who I saw performing with them was the Von Trapp family group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They, so random. They well, were, you know what they say, when you can't get Emilio Delgado, get the Von Trapp family kids, yeah. 
Well, let's talk about your work on Sesame Street. You started in 1971, and at that time, that was a very different kind of role for a Latino actor. You already had been working pretty regularly as an actor. Uh, Tell Uh us about why the role on Sesame Street was so different for a Chicano actor. I had been working in Los Angeles because originally that's where I was from. That's where I started out in Hollywood out there. And uh, the whole time I was there as a young performer, it didn't work very much uh, on television and film. I got together with other Chicanos and Chicanas and Latinos in Hollywood. And we started just, you know, pestering the, the producers and the, and the studios and to begin hiring more Latinos and Latinas. I mean, out of the blue, I was at home and uh, the phone call I answered and somebody said, hello, this is Amy Hutchinson from New York. I work on Sesame Street and uh, we wondered if you'd like to audition for the show. And, you know, I was looking at my last unemployment check, you know, $25, whatever it was at that time. And I said, yes, of course. You know, (laughs) so I met John Stone, who was, of course, one of the if not the originator, he was one of the the people in, in on Sesame Street that was really one of the main people that started the show. We talked and we had a cup of coffee and he, I guess he just wanted to feel me out to see what kind of person I was. After about 20 minutes of speaking with him, he uh, looked at me and he says, Emilio, if you want to work for us, be in New York October 11th. We'll send you a ticket. That was how I got on Sesame Street. <laughs> oh, wow. Just like that. And so uh, October 11th, I got on a, on a plane and went to New York, for, or I should say came to New York. That's where I am now uh, uh, for the first time ever in my life. Wow. That changed my life completely. You, know, you saw the reaction of both Jackson and Shalewa and, and Helen. You really hold a special place in people's heart. What's that like to, to receive? Oh, let me tell you, we have millions of fans out there. I mean, there, there's two of them sitting right there, Jackson and yeah. Shalewa. And, and believe me, all over the place, everywhere that we go, Of course, everybody knows the show because they grew up with it like you guys did, right? We were part of of these people's families, you know? We were Mm. part of the family. Can I just tell you, take a moment to say that I learned English partially because of Sesame Street. Yes. My parents, we're, you know, we're immigrants and my parents didn't speak English in the home. And it was so formative for me. And just seeing your face and it's really you. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, you helped me to learn English. I know, man. Let me tell you, a lot of people, when they came to this country, tell me the same thing. When they came from another country, wherever, you know, whether it was China or South America or Europe or wherever they came from, that's how they learned English. That's, you know, mm-hmm. watching Sesame Street. Very cool. Love well, it. let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. Okay. You know, the question that we asked of Shalewa. First, we wanted to know uh, of that very lovable Louise character who had a repair shop for a very long time. First, what was the name of that repair shop? Helen, what did Shalewa say? Shalewa said Louise's. And uh, Mr. Delgado? Oh, it could have been Louise's, but uh, the original name for the, for the shop was the Fix-It Shop. It, the Fix-It Shop. That literally just <laughs> popped in my head like two minutes ago. I was like, oh, wait, it was Fix-It. The uh, Fix-It Shop. The shop went through some changes uh, through the years. It was later called the Mail-It Shop. It also had been called the Bike Shop. And yeah. the L&R Fix-It Shop was the original name oh, man. Uh, of that. Yeah, and, 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 and L&R was, was the original show. And that, that goes back like the very beginning where it was uh, Rafael and Luis Fix-It Shop, mm-hmm. I think it was called. And, and who played and, Rafael? And, and uh, who played Rafael was Raul Julia. Wow. Right before he hit it on Broadway and became a big Broadway star. And as soon as that happened, he left Sesame Street and went on Broadway. <laughs> There's a became, lot of talent on became Sesame became the biggest you know, star on Broadway forever. And then, of course, <laughs> a big movie star later yeah. on. Yeah. Very cool. All right. No point there, though. Sorry, Shalewa. But let's go to your next question, which was who did Louise marry? And Helen, what did Shalewa say? 
Shalewa said Maria. And Emilio? Absolutely correct. Woohoo! A point for Shalewa. Very yes. good. And uh, is it true that people actually thought that you and the actor who played Maria were married in real life? Oh my gosh, yeah. And for like maybe six or seven years, uh, Sonia Manzano, who played Maria on the mm-hmm. show, and I did live shows all over the United States at you know live theaters, you know, everywhere that we went. Everybody was saying, oh, it's so beautiful. You got married and this and that and everything. And, and Sonia and I would look at each other like, should we tell them? <laughs> and a lot of times we had to, but I mean, we didn't want to bust their bubble many times. You know, they were yeah, so enthusiastic That was very, that was very kind of you. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So a point there for Shalaya. And finally, we wanted to know what was the name of their daughter that uh, Louise and Maria had? Helen, what did Shalaya say? Shalaya said Marisol. Whoa. And- yeah. Marisol, what a beautiful name, Marisol. But uh, no, it was wrong. <laughs> Luis and Maria's daughter's name was Gabriela, or Gabriela. Ga- or Gabby, Gabby, Gabby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Before we let you go, Shalay, was there anything you'd like to ask or say to Emilio Delgado while we have him here? Honestly, I just want to thank you, and I'm sure you <laughs> get that a lot. But for real, like you've touched so many lives, I'm sure you sit with that every day. But I just want to be today's voice to let you know that you have totally changed lives and thank you for it. Thank you, Shalewa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, it's been such a special treat to speak with you today. And uh, just looking back on your work, you know, I, when I was researching for this segment, just seeing a single image of you back then with that haircut and with like, you know, the striped <laughs> rugby shirt just immediately put me back in my childhood and, yeah. and such warm and lovely memories. And so just talking with you again today, oh, if people you. want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Oh, you can go to my Facebook page, Emilio Delgado or Luis and Sesame Street. And uh, you can go uh, to uh, the Luis Sesame Street or you can go to on Twitter, Emilio Delgado. Delgado 58. We'll see you there. <laughs> we definitely will see you there. We're so happy that we saw you here. Emilio Delgado, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Jackson, Shalewa. Hello, Helen. Thank you. Thank you, Jakey. Awesome. My pleasure. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Jay Keith, it is a tie <laughs> right oh my. now. Jackson Galaxy has eight points, and Shalewa Sharp also has eight points. All right. Well, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Jackson and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Jackson, Coca-Cola owns over 10 different beverage brands. True. Correct. Yes, actually over 200. Shalewa, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Pepsi. False. Correct. Yeah, that's the big competitor. Jackson, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Schweppes Tonic Water. True. Correct. Shalewa, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Aquafina Water. False. Correct. Jackson, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Dasani Water. True. Correct. Shalewa, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Vitamin Water. That's true. Correct. Jackson, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Smart Water. False. Incorrect. Shalewa, one of Coca-Cola's brands is Aquarius Water. False. Incorrect. No, it really is. Jackson, Aquarius Water, despite being called water, can have up to 56 calories per bottle. True. Correct. Shalewa, but they make a calorie-free version called Aquarius Zero. That's true. Correct. Jackson, the only ingredient in Aquarius Zero is water. False. Correct. And finally, Shalewa, the other ingredient is Pepsi. That's false. (laughs) Correct. That is false. We're not going to count those last two, but I do want to thank Jackson Galaxy and Shalewa Sharp as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner on today's episode? Jay Keith, it is still a tie. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) 
Jackson Galaxy has 12 points, and Shalewa Sharp also has 12 points. What a fabulous match. That means we are going to go to our tiebreaker, though. Here's how the tiebreaker works. I'm going to ask you a question. The answer is a number. Whoever gets closer to the correct number will win. Now, we do not play Price's Right style, so no guessing $1. I'm going to ask the question. You're going to think about it, and then I'll ask you to blurt out your answers at the same time on the count of three. So don't answer right away until I prompt you. Here is the question. According to the Australian Antarctic Program, how many species of penguin are there? Again, according to the Australian Antarctic Program, how many species of penguin are there? All right, think about it, locking in your answer in your mind. And on the count of three, one, two, three. Twelve. Twelve. Oh, what? Oh, my God. This is unprecedented, Jakey. <laughs> Absolutely. This is the first time we have needed a tiebreaker for the tiebreaker. All right. Well, the, the correct answer was 18. You both got it uh, exactly within six. We are going to go to our second tiebreaker. I have to say, <laughs> this is a contingency we have planned for, never have had to use. Wow. If this ends up in a tie, we're just going to call it a tie. Here's our <laughs> second tiebreaker for the first time in the history of Go Factors, Elf. Here we go. In 2021... Guinness confirmed that the world record for most times seeing a movie in a theater was broken by Ramiro Alanis. How many times did he see Avengers Endgame in the theater? Again, we're looking for the number of times that Ramiro Alanis saw Avengers Endgame in the theater. All right, lock in those answers in your mind. And on the count of three, one, two, three. Seven. All right, finally, we got a little bit of a spread. Jackson said 300. Shalewa said seven. The correct answer is 191. That means, Jackson, congratulations. You win the tiebreaker, the double tiebreaker, and you are the facting champion on today's episode of Go Fact Yourself. Jackson, what will you do with your championship? I am going to go home and take a nap with it. <laughs> Cuddle up like it. a good cat. You do deserve it. We've been, we've all been through a lot today. We appreciate it. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap things up by giving everyone here on the uh, show a chance to promote anything they might like to. Jackson, where can people see you and your work? You can go to jacksongalaxy.com. You can go visit me on Instagram. I am the Cat Daddy, and also uh, Facebook, Twitter, all those good guys. And I just want to throw out a reminder to everybody that our animal shelters are bursting at the seams. We need foster parents. We need adopters. Please take a minute. See if you got some space in your house, in your home, in your heart, and go grab a couple of cats or a couple of dogs or a couple of guinea pigs or bunnies or anything to help our shelter workers out. What a lovely message. Uh, and uh, I speak as a two-time failed foster parent. Both of my cats uh, were fosters, and I'm very happy to have them. I speak as a one-time failed foster doggy mommy. And then Shalewa's got the mouser. And Shalewa's got the mouser. And Shalewa also, by the way, I think gave me the title of my next book. She goes, I love the cat, but... (laughs) 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 We'll look forward to those acknowledgments with a mention for Shalewa. Jackson, it was so wonderful to host you. I really appreciate all the work that you do. And it was great to spend some time with you. My pleasure. Shalewa Sharp, where can people see what you're up to? Uh, I'm on all of the important social media, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Venmo. (laughs) (laughs) My handle is at Silky Jumbo, all one word, traditional spelling. (laughs) I've got an album. I've got a couple of albums, one that's called Stay Eating Cookies and one that's called So You Just Out Here. Uh, well, Shalewa, wonderful to host you as well. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know your comedy uh, over this past week, and I recommend people check it out when they can. Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because my hosting partner is Ms. Helen Hong. Helen, which of your many projects would you like to tell people about today? 
Oh, I don't know. Uh, just follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong because ugh, that other Helen Hong has my handles. <laughs> And she's not funny. No, she's not. So follow funny Helen Hong. Indeed, she is funny. She is Helen. She is Hong. She is Helen Hong. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith or on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Jackson Galaxy, Shalewa Sharp, Diane Gabaldone, and Emilio Delgado. And thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live someday. Oh, boy, do I hope. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Pseudo-Doer did. He, she, or they said, a great listen. Really enjoy the trivia. Thanks, Pseudo-Doer. A great review. Really enjoy the compliment. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer for this episode is Casey O'Brien. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistant provided by Clint Tauscher and Mike Avellanos with Bonnie Datt, Margot Morrissey, Biz Urban, Malcolm Gordon, Holly Bedner, Jim and Patricia Ramsey, Paul Nigro, Janice Cohen, and Mike Carlin. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Spencer Marks, Brian Adams, Dave Bianchi, and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Courtney Dolliver at CCPR, Eric Stein at Scoop Marketing, Kevin Cronin, Melanie DiNardo, Jordan Pace, and Rachel Parker at Random House. Charlene Conley and Craig Shemin. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go to Sesame Street. Sunny days. Keeping the. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.